So this is me telling you what's inside your pockets. Okay, Max, I'm hella ready. The Incomparable. Number 358, June 2017. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We're here to talk about a video game. That's right. Every now and then, Jason plays a video game or watches video of a video game and pretends to have played it. But in this case, I played the whole (gasps) thing. We're going to talk about Life is Strange, a game that was released in 2015 and is available on almost every platform imaginable if you have a pc or a mac or a playstation 3 or a playstation 4 or an xbox one or an xbox 360 you can play life is strange and joining me to talk about this game are these fine people it's very late where he is but he's here with us now as long as he can stay awake it's james thompson hello Hello, a pleasure to be here. Um, I figured since I was the sort of instigator of this one, I would stay up until the small hours. You did start this. It's not the first time that you've started us down a path to a video game episode, but it's this, I think, second time. I mean, <laughs> made it sound like it happens every time. No, I think this is the second time you've done that, but it's good to have you here. Um, Wowzers, Quinn Rose is here. Hi. I'm hella excited to be here. <laughs> God damn, you stole my <laughs> Tiffany Armand is also here. Hi again. I'm also hella cereal. Very nice. Damn it, Quinn. Brian Hamilton, I think there's some blood coming out of your nose. Oh no! Hi, Jason. It is. Nice to be here. Oh, was it not nice to be here the first time and that didn't go well for you? Yeah, I had to rewind that one. Oh, okay. fair enough. And John Syracuse is also here. No monkey business. It's John Syracuse. We are going to hella analyze this game. <laughs> <sighs> Again, I say wowzers. That's what I say. So for those who don't know, we're going to talk a little bit about what this game is. And uh, it is. Uh, it has many, many twists and turns in its story that we're going to save for after the spoiler horn I think it goes without saying on any podcast that John Syracuse is on that you should probably consume the media before passing through the gates of the spoiler horn into spoiler territory. Uh, But before we get there, I want to know, does anybody have perhaps an opening statement? I have an opening statement, Jason, if you'd allow it. Hamilton, yes, I would allow it. Please state openly your opening statement. Well, a lot of The Incomparable's favorite games, and consequently some of my favorite games, are very small, meticulously crafted games like Journey or Gone Home or Inside. And on the other side of that spectrum is really, really vast, extreme games like Destiny or Skyrim, where everything is very open and wide and there's lots of different paths you can go down. I feel like Life is Strange is right in the middle and is honestly one of the most ambitious games ever made. And we're going to talk about what we liked about the game and what we didn't like about the game, but I'm so, so glad it exists, even though there's a lot I don't like about it. Because, again, like Tarkin in Rogue One, if nobody starts trying games like this, we're not going to have amazing games that further this progress in the future. I saw this game in a sale for the grand total of four pounds. And 
I got it on a whim earlier in the year because I'd heard really good things about it, but it ended up being probably one of my favourite games of 2017, and 2017 has been a particularly good year for games. So, yeah, I wanted to get everyone to play it, and I also wanted to get some people who actually had been teenage girls at some point to be on this (laughs) podcast. You don't know my life. (laughs) And... uh, Yes, so uh, uh, I tried to get uh, a, a gang together and encourage you all to play it. Thankfully, Brian was a fan as well. So between the two of us, I think <laughs> we we managed to strong arm everyone. And apparently, John already played it, so he just had to play it again. No, I played it because uh, James had mentioned oh, I'd James? known about the game for years, and is not not my style of game. And the reviews were kind of middle of the road, so I'm like, ah. I can skip it. Like I played the Walking Dead games, so actually, which are similar, but I felt like I was burned out on the on the genre. But when James was, you know, raving about it in the Slack, I said, you know what? And it, and also it was cheap. I said I should I should get that. So I got it and played through it like like a day or two after he uh, <laughs> had mentioned that he picked it up. And then I was finished. And like, okay, let's all podcast about this. And that was like you know three months ago. That, that was yeah, not gonna <laughs> not gonna happen with me. Although I, I I admit I I have played. It took me about twelve hours to complete it, and it uh, I did it in a short span of time because this podcast was going to happen. <laughs> and so I, I have played those twelve hours over the last like six days. But I I did it, everybody. I did it. I played a game. Woo! Woo! It should be fresh in your memory because you finished it like forty-five minutes ago. It is absolutely uh, uh, on what Brian said. One thing about the, placing this in, in the sort of spectrum between very small uh, games and really large, you know, sort of triple A uh, type things. I I get what he was saying about the ambition and the the branching story and the and and also kind of the production values and just the sheer amount of content in this game in terms of voice acting and audio and, and sets and stuff like this. But I would place this firmly very far towards the end of small uh small games small artful games uh, that are less about gigantic set pieces and open worlds and more about uh a few carefully constructed scenes that lean on story and character in, in the vein of the telltale games um or or something like gone home obviously this is this yeah. is a broader spectrum than gone home because you're not in a single house but it's a long way to go before you get to like Horizon Zero Dawn or you know or or even or even Uncharted or anything like that. There's, there is a long gulf there. So I I, I view this in the little uh, the little hamlet of cute uh, artsy fartsy games that I love. Yeah, I would say it reminded me an awful lot of Gone Home, but with you know much more, and also. Um, yeah, much more, including more conflict and things like that, but also many more scenes. But it did remind me of that. It doesn't help that both of these games are about young women in small towns in the Pacific Northwest where something strange is going on. But uh, but it did remind me of Gone Home in a lot of ways, including the way that you connect in, with the characters and learn about their relationships with other people. And I love Gone Home. And I really like Life is Strange, too. I had to make one comment about the teenage girl thing hey james Um, (laughs) because so this game takes place in a very particular time it takes place in october of 2013 and they're seniors in high school and about halfway through the game i realized that i was a senior in high school (gasps) in october of 2013 (laughs) that must have been hella weird for you that made the rest of the game very very weird (laughs) are are you max caulfield dun 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 (laughs) or or one of the other many people that you can walk past in the hallway (laughs) 
Oh. oh yeah, I was just one of the characters you never get to talk to. You just see them arguing about something. No talk, but prompt, and so you just have to. You, there's a name, and you're like, "All right, that's a person," and maybe you overhear some conversation, and then you just walk on because you're not allowed to talk to them. Quinn, look out behind you! A pool noodle is about to hit you in the head. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. The uh, yeah, the Vortex Club has an end of the world party. Isn't that a little on the nose? Um, anyway. The Life is Strange is a story about Max Caulfield. She is a student at a private school in her hometown uh, in Oregon. But uh, there's a long story. Her parents moved to Seattle and then she's moved back to the town. And she's got a friend who she grew up with who's still in the town but got kicked out of the school. And we get to learn a lot more about Max and the people she knows at the school and a lot more. But the the way it the, the, the game starts is... Uh, you're you're max and you're on top of a hill next to a lighthouse and there's a uh and there's a a crazy like tornado vortex in the bay in front of the town and then she sort of snaps awake in uh in a classroom in her school and very quickly what happens is she ends up in a situation where she discovers that she has the ability to reverse time briefly and change what has happened right in front of her and from that comes the entire game which is all about max navigating her world and her friends and the people she knows in the school and making decisions i was going to say making the right decisions that is way too judgmental Hmm. making decisions some of them good some of them bad some of them hard to tell what the impact is going to be and that's the core of the game is how do you use the time power to make the right decisions and and go on the right branches or at least you you have to make those decisions sometimes to solve puzzles and sometimes you just have to live with the consequences of the decisions you made because they do affect the story as it goes through the five chapters the way this this game is laid out there are five chapters of what two or three hours in length i would say ish to play yeah it's about that i would say yeah uh and they were released in installments which i think is really cool because for me this whole game felt like episodes of the life is strange television series kind of and i with cliffhangers and things like that and and uh and kind of rousing endings where music plays as as some things play out and then the credits roll and i really enjoyed that part of it the fact that it's uh it's broken up into those episodes that was a that was a good one that was one of the the things that i was thinking of was what this would like to been playing it back at the time when it was coming out because there was like sometimes months between the episodes coming out it was two months between all the episodes until the last one which was three months yeah and that that would have been terrible i really appreciate that there's real delineations between the chapters because there's games like uncharted where you're just kind of doing things and then up at the top of the screen it says chapter five xyz and you just keep playing and there's no real good stopping point which i certainly appreciate when you know there's actual good stopping points so you can say okay i'm done with life is strange for tonight so you don't invest 12 hours in one night but at the same time the separate chapters was a nightmare to deal with on the playstation 4 (laughs) having to download everything and organize them on the console that's why you should wait till all the episodes are out i did the same thing with the walking dead which i avoided until like it was season one was done and you could just get everything all at once and not have to worry about uh you know because you, you want to know what happens next i wouldn't want to wait i i'm i guess i'm willing to i have no choice i guess to wait uh, at least a week between shows between release of game of thrones or really uh, wait between seasons but if you have the choice with a game i don't want to i want to wait i want to keep playing each episode was basically a day of time roughly in the game um 
and I played it like one episode per night over over the course of a week. So I kind of got it in semi real time. That's about how I played it too, because I had to play it while my kid was at school and I was awake and alert <laughs> and ready to go. <laughs> so it perfectly fit within the school day. It was very, very convenient. I played it a lot the same way, but I did it at night because that was when I had my time by myself. And playing Life is Strange by yourself in the dark at 1 a.m. is not actually <sighs> that recommended. Well, that's the Creepy. best. I did mine at night too and not one episode at a time because I don't have that kind of discipline. I just went until my body <laughs> collapsed and then, you know, the next day play more. Everyone was making references earlier to what games it was kind of like. And for me, it was kind of like Firewatch meets Braid. If anyone else has played those, it kind of was like a less platforming than Braid. But yeah, no, you know what I mean with like it's like Firewatch with the mechanics of Braid like stuck in there. Well, I mean, I think it really depends on like which game that's like this you have played in the past. We just named a whole bunch of them. I don't know if any of those are like the 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 originator of this genre or the pioneer of this genre but you're right all of them I, I feel like they're all influenced by each other um when i played firewatch i thought oh this is kind of like walking dead because walking dead series was the first game that i played that was like this and telltale makes multiple games that are like this but if if you haven't played walking dead and have played firewatch this seems like it's firewatch but i, I would say this is a, an evolving genre and kind of the same way that you know, the old people remember the point and click adventures like yep. uh, king's quest and stuff like that that genre is like, you know, one of the things you could do on really old computers was put a picture on the screen and, and the picture of the background was static and you'd have a little character walk around it and you'd have to click on hidden things and make things happen, right? That genre evolved as the tech evolved. And I feel like this, uh, along with Mist and all those other things, are sort of a, a branching tree of this more of a slow-paced puzzle and decision-based uh, game that came to incorporate a lot more character and cinema as the tech caught up with it, but it was never about your reflexes, right? It was never about, um, you know, sports in terms of uh, using your hand-eye coordination to achieve a goal that's challenging in some way. And it was all about uh, a narrative that you could think about and and uh, puzzle your way through. And eventually, even in the point-and-click adventures, I feel like it, especially like in Myst, which was essentially the world's fanciest point-and-click adventure, feel your way through where you'd make it, you'd have a connection to the place and to the characters in the story. I, I would say with this, compared to something like Gone Home, there's a lot more actual game in it. Yeah. I mean, some of the gameplay, which we'll get to later, I found a bit annoying, but I think it was just, it was the story that was pulling me through it. Well, I was saying um, when we were talking about this earlier on Slack that I uh, I had a, an idea of what this game might be, not knowing anything about it because I went in completely cold. And I thought it might either be one of these games where it's mostly sort of characters and cinematic with decisions that you have to make that drive the story along. And I thought it could be that or it could be something where the time travel mechanic is more like a puzzle game where you need to use the time travel to uh, solve puzzles that couldn't be solved with other means, almost like a portal-esque kind of thing and what i was surprised and delighted to discover is yes it is both of those things that are happening that you have conversations and are attached to characters and you make decisions that have that have an impact on the story but there are also numerous times where you have to use your time travel powers to move around a room or pick up an object and then go to a different place and then wind things back and do things that you can't do without having your time travel powers and i enjoyed how it was all kind of mixed up that that it was never um one thing, it is true that you do spend a lot of time kind of going through a space looking for what lights up 
and and figuring out can I do something with this? What order do I need to do these things in? Uh, and all of that. There there is you know it, it is that it is go in a room and explore all the objects. But I like that there were um, that there was the narrative mechanic and also the sort of like gameplay time travel part of the mechanic that that was mixed together. I liked I liked that they were mixed. I really appreciate that Don't Nod and Square Enix had the guts to put story first, and the converse of that is that sometimes the gameplay is really uneven, where there's long stretches where you do nothing and just watch, and then long stretches where it's almost like a point-and-click puzzle, like, use DVD on player. Okay, yeah, sure, mm-hmm. fine, let's do that. And I appreciate that you know they, they made the decision, the executive decision, to make the story and the characters paramount, but at the same time, I got a little bit annoyed at, by the puzzles at times, because there were times where I really just wanted to stick with the character and do things and not have to figure out time travel puzzles trying to avoid trains and things like that let me take a brief break and tell you about our sponsor this week it is Redbox. School's out for summer, and Redbox has video games that can keep you entertained this summer. They've got more than 40,000 locations all across the United States. You can rent and return anywhere, and here's the deal. You can get a free one-night game rental from Redbox when you use the promo code SNELL. Find a Redbox in your neighborhood, or if you want to make sure the game you want is there when you arrive, reserve it online at redbox.com games. This offer is valid through the first to july 2017 so act fast subject to additional terms charges apply for additional nights payment card is required getting into video games has never been so easy free one night rental thanks to redbox for sponsoring the incomparable so i think there's an important technological advancement in that that changes at least how these games feel to me having put also played the the super old ones in in the same way i've gone home or jason mentioned like oh there's the game where you're having characters and scenes and selecting from dialogue trees and seeing consequences, but there's also this part where you just kind of wander around and look at stuff, uh, like Gone Home, where the story is played yeah. out through the environment, where you explore the environment. And I feel like because this is a 3D game that you you know you essentially have free reign on, it's not like an old point-and-click adventure where you have a door to the east and the north, and you click on the door, and then the next scene that loads is the next room, and so on and so forth, that you actually have to walk your you know your your character around the world and when you manipulate something your character reaches out for it and and touches it and picks it up and does all these things that 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 gameplay experience of walking through the world essentially you know steering your character around in the way that you want running when you want to run walking slowly when you want to walk slowly going upstairs going downstairs no particular order or anything navigating the environment connects you to the story in in like the most boring way in in a way that is probably not noticeable to people playing but i feel like is more of a visceral connection to the place and to the characters merely because i'm forced to walk my character through this world like if you think about it gameplay wise would this game change all that much if the walking from place to place was automated no and it almost feels like busy like why do i have to walk from here to there why do i have to go through the quad and you know why do i have to go to one end of the quad and not realize there's an invisible wall here and actually i'm supposed to go out the other end because i didn't pay attention to the instructions like that activity that feels pointless that like you're just trying to get to the next dialogue encounter or the next puzzle i feel like when i play these games connects me to it much more strongly than if i was looking at a bunch of pictures or directing a character you know in in a at a remove right so like inhabiting the character and making them walk around and deciding to go to the backyard and sit and sit on the swing which i didn't have to do like it wasn't part of the game but because there was a swing out there and because i control where we go (laughs) and i wanted to walk around and see what was out there i find myself out there and i find myself wandering over to the swing or sitting down on the bench and triggering one of those musical interludes or whatever 
that I feel like is a stronger connection and is only made possible by the tech that they have to give you the freedom to inhabit this world in a way that is closer to how we all experience our own lives, which is not as a series of slideshows, I'm assuming for everyone here, but actually as a 3D world that we walk through. I really love those moments of stillness that were in the game. That where you, where John was saying where you can sit on the swing, you can sit on the bench, you can sit on the fountain. It's I haven't played a game that even has this kind of mechanic where you're walking through and you have a story told to you where you can just stop, and it gives you something. It gives you music. It gives you ambiance. It changes the camera angle on what you're seeing, so you see yourself as the character from different perspectives around the environment that you're sitting in. And it highlights different areas that you might not have looked at if you were just kind of running past the scene or, you know, or walking past the scene. And I just, I really appreciated those moments. I thought that they were great. They just made me feel so connected and I don't know, just really tranquil in this kind of chaotic mystery story that was going on around me. So I liked, um, I mentioned earlier a little bit, I enjoyed the setting, um, having, uh, being a West Coast person, I I know people who grew up in rural Oregon. Um, I've spent a little time in uh, coastal Oregon, and it definitely had that feel for me, uh, is, is, as, uh, um, I like the sense of place, the fact that this Arcadia Bay is a uh, is on the Oregon coast. It's got the big rocks out in the in the water, which is totally an Oregon coast thing. The all the beaches there have these huge rocks kind of mixed around with the with the sand in the in the beaches. Um I like that it's a kind of run down beach town, that it's got this academy that's all uh, all fancy like, but that it's a you know, it's kind of a run down small town and it, it, a lot of people are driving beat up vehicles and all of that. It's just it, it was a really enjoyable sense of place and also it felt like a place that i've i've seen and that i understood to a certain degree and i thought that was uh i thought that was one of the things i liked sort of to extend what john was saying is is the whole game gave me a gave me a really strong sense of place and and goes to the trouble of right of having several scenes set downtown where instead of appearing in a building you get off the bus and you can walk around a little bit in the parking lot and talk to a fisherman and then you can go inside and you can look out the window and you really get that sense of what Arcadia Bay is like. I, I really uh, I really enjoyed the, the, the place that the game is. They even have you take the bus trip where you look out the window as the bus is going. Like they, they use the whole oh, yeah. use all parts of the Buffalo. The, the fixed view where you're looking out a window and you're watching the power lines go up and down. It's like that is that's so great that that's that you're just bored sitting on a bus. That's what it's going to look like. That was great. So that was going to be my question was because, you know, I didn't grow up as a teenage girl in small town America. So the game felt authentic to me, but I had no idea whether it really was or not. Uh, One of the things was because this is made by a French development team, I didn't know if they were sort of working off the same, you know, uh, cultural influences that I was and such that, you know, it looked okay. But, you know, it sounds like they got the, the details right. Well, as we've already made fun of, their their mastery of teenage girl vernacular in this period may be slightly skewed in a weird direction. Like, I knew I knew this was a French developer, and I chalked up every one of their seeming misfires on, like, teen lingo and slang no, to, but like, well, but Christian, this is not their first The writer language. is a guy named Christian Devine, who is, 
you know, he wrote the dialogue and he um, he has said that he spent a lot of time. He's from Northern California and spent a lot of time in the Pacific Northwest. And yeah, the developers are French, but the writer is uh, is a West yeah, Coaster. But like if, if you were doing it, that's why you need many minds. Like one person can have an idea of this is this is they think this is authentic. But if you have an entire group of people who are also Americans, they can call them on it. But if there's a bunch of French people, they can't. I was kind of disappointed when I watched that, like all about the people that made the game video at the end they have it on steam that it was a whole bunch of dudes like writing this story i was a little disappointed about that i was like really really you couldn't stick one lady on the film to talk about something not one the the major characters are are almost entirely women yeah yep yep and the whole story is you know about what it's about and all that so it's like really not a single one but i gotta say even i was i was surprised of whose face popped up on those screens and who was talking about it after i played the game so as much as i criticize what it actually was i gotta say for i got i mean like my childhood kind of felt like i should say my teenagehood kind of felt like that i had a friend who was totally totes like chloe let me tell you like Hmm. and like she was kind of the bad one and i was kind of like the shyer more nerdy one and i like taking photos like it was so crazy we lived in a coastal town um you know one of us was getting into trouble all the time and the other one was kind of following around it was kind of freaky (laughs) at times so they did um they did get that pretty accurate you know that uh that dynamic between two friends but i did find that it was nice that despite the um uh trying not to spoil yet but despite the the content and the context of some of the mystery elements of what was going on i really felt like max and chloe um were showing a a person's story instead of just a woman's story but they just happened to be young women and i really appreciated that because a lot of the times you know you don't get that or you get it so blatantly like it has to be all about being a woman but this was more if i don't know a a lot of the the majority of the story felt more like it could be any person and they just happened to be young women yeah well i would agree with a lot of what tiff said especially one being surprised when it was all guys who made this kind like kind of made me feel a little weird but um also that i do agree as well that it didn't it didn't make it all about the fact that she was a woman like this was just a good story and a good game that um, happened to center female characters in terms of like the realism of the setting and the language. Um, I mean, we, the dialogue is really often criticized and, and we can make fun of it. Um, and I do make fun of it, but on the other hand, I don't think it was egregious as I think a lot of other people think it is. Um, especially I do say the word hella, so I can't even make fun of that. Boom. Um, <laughs> and there, there's, there was my biggest problem with the dialogue was actually the way that I felt like it was too obvious and on the nose most of the time um especially in episode two and five i felt like it was just constantly saying out loud all of the themes and all of the characters thoughts and the um attempts and some failed attempts and some successes at capturing 2013 teenage slang didn't bother me that much because yes some of it was kind of weird but i think 
most of it fit into the game relatively well um, and didn't pull me out of it. I kind of felt the same way that like even when they, you know, and, and it wasn't so much a word choice. It's just like it's kind of it kind of read a little bit to me uh, as an old person, as an old person's attempt to capture what young people are like. Right. In terms of the dialogue where they would just be a little bit off. Like, it's, it's again, hello, you're going to use it. I've heard it. I've used it. Every, it was a thing at a time. Right. But it was the delivery. Knowing how to deploy it. It's like trying to explain. I remember trying to explain to my parents when they would use slang when I was a kid that they were using the right words for the right meaning, but they were using them like at the wrong time or or too much or just like just like an old person. And, you know, it's one of those things like as a young person, you can tell that old person is using it incorrectly. But but all that said, I think that this game, I forgive all of that because this game to to me captured it, the, the important part of what it's like to be a kid this age right and to be and to be in these fraught situations which obviously our situations uh, as children are not the same as a time travel catastrophe thing right but they feel like that which is the whole point of this game like this is what it feels like to be that age like there might as well be a, a you know a tornado bearing down in your town because of something you did and like because that's how fraught everything is and and that's why like I mean, the greatest thing about this game is by episode three or four, the game itself is making making fun of, you know, itself for for saying hella and stuff like that. So it is self-aware. But like, I don't even care. I don't even care about those details. I care that any sort of coming of age story or a story about young people captures something about what it's like to be that age. And this game totally captures it, regardless of how it may fumble over the details. And even when like weird gameplay stuff gets in the way, as we'll discuss or whatever, uh that that's what redeems the whole game to me is that that it, that it captures that feeling that it reminds me of that that it feels true underneath it all i do wonder with the uh making fun of their own language use because they had you know months between the episodes yeah, totally what it is yeah they, they'd have had the time to react and course correct as they went through the through the season uh, one of the things I, I liked in that, so there's the director commentary videos, which you can access on the PlayStation as well. I'm assuming it's the same that was on Steam. Uh, and they talk about, they've got, so the, the, uh, motion capture, um, uh, performers were different to the people who did the voices. So they had American actresses who did the voices, but it was, uh, I think it was French people who did the motion capture. And so there were things like, um, when Max, uh, f- like, goes to uh, greet Warren she they, they like were initially going to do like a sort of French kiss on the cheek type thing <laughs> and, and people were like no no no, no, no. no. <laughs> this is this is not how Americans behave and and they also made all the parking spots too small and people looked at it and said no in, in America we have real parking spots <laughs> <laughs> but it's just there's lots of little details like that in the in the uh, director commentary videos which are it's worth watching of the things that took me out of the game, the things that built up the world and the characters, uh, like the parking spots and things like that, like those are low on the list of things that took me out of the game. There were much more technical issues that brought me out of the game more than those kinds of elements. But at the same time, the voice performances were so good that I can excuse some uh, misused slang here and there. I will say the voice performances were great, but also the lips never match what they were saying. Nope. What was up with that? That's hard to do in video games, let me tell you. Speaking of, you know, games with 100 times the budget of this still struggle with that because it is not an easy thing to do. It's very expensive to get right enough that it's convincing. So all these games... I mean, that's why they picked the stylized graphic style for this. Like, it is, it's realistic. Like, it's not cartoon, but it's more sort of a painterly pastel kind of thing with uh, low polygons for... 
the major structures you know it, it devolves to be more and more cartoonish as you get farther and farther away from the uh the main character's faces but you have to do that to avoid uh animated corpse effect like the 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 more realistic you get the more these things look like a bunch of animated corpses and so if they stylize it a little bit you can forgive it a little bit but these these pl- character models do have lips and we do notice when they look like they're just kind of flapping <laughs> when sound is coming out and they stop flapping when sound doesn't come out um and you know i was I'm, I'm looking at some videos of, of life is strange now and i'm in, in the midst of playing horizon zero dawn and i have to say i think the the uh, lips in this game are about as good as they are in Horizon Zero Dawn, even though the graphics themselves are, are tremendously less detailed. So that's just a limitation of the tech. I assume that some of it, too, is just the, the fact that the branching storyline means that there's a lot of alternate dialogue. And that, so I just sort of assumed <laughs> that they didn't really want to sweat the, the, um, the lip sync at all because they would have to do lip sync for all that additional dialogue instead of what I assumed they did, which is play the same blah, 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 blah face and then play different dialogue depending on what your previous uh, choices you can, were. You can do auto animated lips based on the audio. And that's the cheapest possible thing to do because you don't need an animator to mess with it. So they, the, the the models will react to the audio that is supposedly playing through them and do a <laughs> bunch of basic sounds. As you can imagine, that's not yeah. a good you know a way to do things. But that's the that's the most straightforward. I don't know if it's what they did in this game, but that technology does exist, and that is a hundred percent the cheapest way to do this. And very few games have the ability to actually have an animator touch the lips on these models and make them at, like almost nothing does that unless it's like a cinematic for you know something from blizzard or something i mean this th- there was a, a statistic i think there's something like fourteen thousand lines of dialogue and like ten thousand alone for max so yeah you've got to i mean at least when max is talking in her own head you don't need to animate it even cheaper than that john was when uh, I, I played through several times doing different things each time and i've noticed that uh they will cut from characters faces to do a reverse shot as soon as they mention something that's different in another timeline <laughs> so whether or yeah. not they say like oh this character is alive or dead they will cut <laughs> from yeah. their lips as soon as they say alive or dead in fact there's one and i think it may be the only scene there's one scene i won't i won't spoil what it is but but you all know there's one scene that is inserted uh, in the middle of one episode, depending on whether a character lives or dies. And even though it's a video game and you can smooth it out in a way that you wouldn't necessarily in a movie, it still felt like, oh, and let's go over here now. And I thought, oh, this is totally different. They just dropped this in here. And you could even then I could tell, like, this is a scene that is inserted here. If this other condition is uh, is fulfilled, um, which was <laughs> it's, I, I noticed I noticed some of the seams, but I really did enjoy the fact that there are lines of dialogue that directly reference choices that I made earlier. I think that's uh, I think that's cool. And I also know the fact that you get different options um, on screen based on your previous decisions, which is a it's a nice touch. Uh, I did get pulled out of the game a bit when you didn't interact with something previously because like let's say you just walked past it like a poster or you decided not to talk to somebody so you didn't interact with them and didn't make a choice with them and then later on it comes up in someone else's dialogue like you had and you're like wait oh interesting what what thing like that i didn't see that i didn't notice that I did kill my plant, though. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, you have to put the spoiler horn now if you're talking about that. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. All right. I think That's we it. all want to spoil. I'm, I'm so ready to spoil. Plant death has already been broached, but we're going to stop it there and fire off the spoiler horn. Uh, but uh, Life is Strange. It's a fun game and it's cheap. So and it's on every platform. So, hey, uh, give it a try. First episode is free. First one's free. It always is. Here's the spoiler horn. <laughs> 
Okay. Finally, now we can oh, actually okay. talk about oh this game. <gasps> Such relief. Relief oh. at the spoiler horn. <laughs> okay, can I just say what the, the spots that I couldn't stand were? So, like, I didn't talk to the teacher about the petition, and all oh, of yeah, a sudden I like, didn't talk either. about it later. Oh, yeah. And people bring it up, and I also didn't talk about, I didn't um, find that girl's pregnancy test, and yep. that comes up a whole bunch, too. And I was like, wait a minute what happened? Like, I totally missed it. So I found it strange that you, if you didn't interact with those things at all, it still kind of made its way into the story. And those moments pulled it out. Yeah, I agree. There's too many possibilities. Like they, they can't, they don't have the time or the money to do like, that's the problem with these branching stories. That's Excuses, why so many of John. them don't branch as much as you think yeah. they branch. That science teacher was really mad that I didn't sign the petition and I had no idea what she was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I did do those steps because I, t- I took it very slow in the beginning. And I don't think that that's the magic of these type of games. If you are very thorough and, and explore yeah. everything later in the game, when you get the person asking you about the petition and referencing the pregnancy test, you'd be like, oh, I totally did those things. And you will know that you did them because you decided to walk over there and you realize I didn't have to walk over there and do that. You'll never know that if you didn't walk over there, then she's going to tell you anyway about the petition as if you did. And so that's the illusion, the movie magic of these type of games where they can't they can't account for everything and you can't actually have 8 million different endings there's a limited number of choices that have consequences even in the walking dead games where people die as you would imagine much more often and you can end the game with different sets of characters than you started based on who you decided to save or align with or whatever even those don't actually have when you map them out that many branching story paths so i i think that is a conceit of this type of game based on technical limitations where they will they will bluff. They will reference things that they really, really hope you did to make you feel connected. And if you didn't do them, oops, you know, we made a bad. But see, the things that they're ho- they're hoping you to do, it's like they, the game made me feel bad about being a snoop. You know what I mean? So like it, <laughs> it, it guilted me into not looking at stuff because usually I'm a super thorough pick through everything, look in every box, turn over every crate, like do all the things yeah, type but person. There's people standing right there. Why would I? Why, why, I'm, I'm yeah. in Chloe's room. Why would I just go through all her stuff? She's right yeah, there. And she's sitting right there. I'm not going to go in her garbage and find her pregnancy test. I'm <laughs> oh, not like totally a weirdo. But if you do, she'll call you on it. So yeah. I mean, it's real. That's the thing about this games that are semi-realistic. That's not just like Link entering someone's house and breaking all their pots or whatever in Zelda. Which I also feel guilty about, by the way. Thanks, New Zelda. Ruined pot breaking. I, I, I don't feel that guilty. <laughs> You're a monster. Is the, the idea of walking around, as I was mentioning before, of just like going from room to room and having to walk. You have to, in a game like this, especially in a game like this, asking you to make choices for like a character, right? You have to make a decision about whether you are going to play the game naturalistically. Yeah. Like, are you going to play... You're acting as Max, yeah. right? Are, are you going to play Max as like a normal person and saying, if I was in this house, I wouldn't go walk over there because that would be weird. Or I wouldn't walk away from someone while they're talking to me because like, you know, or are you going to play it like a video game in which you understand... Yeah, yeah, I'll let your dialogue play out, but I have no qualms about turning my back on you and going sifting through this plant to see if there's something in here or whatever. (laughs) Be a snoopy snoop. Yeah, and and like, I think I play this game more naturalistically than I play most games because of the setting. I I tried to make it so that if someone was observing Max, they would seem like she was acting like a regular person not a crazy person is, is this like toy story to if, if you're not being observed you can do what you like <laughs> but if you are being observed you have to be normal oh yeah if no one were looking at me i'd go through all their stuff yeah <laughs> the garbage can with the pregnancy does i think you have a chance to be in the room alone and if you do it quickly you don't get caught or maybe she just comes in at the moment you try to, to oh no she's no sitting what. right there it's and you can pick it up and be like oh my goodness and then she yells at you and then yeah. you can choose to like rewind and not do it but when she's out of my sight line it feels like she's not there she because the game is not rendering her 
but I only did it on the second playthrough. I picked up a pregnancy test because I'm like, what is this whole thing about? I felt really guilty during the uh, the big choices where you could either choose to snitch on someone or not or uh, do those kinds of really big decisions that you see at the end of the chapter. And I tried to do those like somebody was watching me because I knew the game would guilt me into uh, doing the uh, correct choice because you get to see the statistics of everyone else in the world that's ever played at the end. And I felt so freaking guilty. The interesting thing was um, because I've got John and Brian on my uh, PlayStation uh, friends list, uh, you can toggle in the game to say, show me the stats of everyone in the world who's made this decision, but also show me the stats of your friends. <gasps> and they were the only two people who um, had played Life is Strange. So I could see if like 100% of <laughs> my friends had made this decision, both of them had. And if 50% had done one and 50% had done another, I could see what they had done. But I couldn't... <laughs> I couldn't tell which was which. Sometimes I thought it was cool when I was in the minority on something. I was like, all right, unless it was something I felt guilty about. I always want to see like the entire world choosing to do something terrible and me being the one person that made the difficult, wise choice. That's how I view all those screens. Well, it's also some places that just don't get triggered, right? Like you just get right. to the d- the default decision if you don't trigger it yeah. at all. You didn't help that yeah. person because you didn't see that person. And you so didn't, you didn't keep her from getting hit in the head with the football. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I did that one. In one of my later playthroughs, I decided to do everything opposite what I'd done the other playthroughs. So when uh, I got Pompidou hurt in the middle of, I think, three or four, uh, I was only in the 8% of the world. That- you throw the bone into the street. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, I, see, no matter what, what kind of monsters are doing that? Come on, monster. they're all That's monsters. I like there. There are several moments where the where the music plays, and it's decision time. That it just made me laugh so hard because it's like the worst possible moment to ask me to make a decision. Here, make a decision. The the best of which was probably when you're sitting at the at the principal in the principal's office, and it basically says, "All right, who are you throwing under the bus?" <laughs> like, no, yeah. don't make me choose now. But that the game delights in it. It's it's hilarious. Speaking of that, uh, there was a moment, that moment where you could blame Nathan, uh, David Madsen, or Mr. Jefferson. And I remember thinking, wait, why would we blame Mr. Jefferson? And that was another know, moment right? I missed. No, oh I blame Mr. Jefferson. I blame Mr. Jefferson and then rewound. Yeah. No, I blame Mr. Jefferson because I did not trust him from the beginning. Correct. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I, I, I thought it was it was funny because the person a lot of, you most medium suspect. So a lot of my behavior in the game, you know, I think one of the interesting things about this game is is you are almost always playing on two levels, right? You're playing on the level of um, how am I reacting to what's in front of me? And you're playing on the level of this is a story. I wonder how they made this story. And at several points, I thought like, like I ratted out David to his to Chloe's mom and and got him in trouble but I had already decided at that point that he was probably just misunderstood and although he was a jerk he was probably he had he had pain and he was probably not as bad a guy as we thought he was but he was being a jerk and with Mr. Jefferson I I I actually blamed him first and then there was this whole like super guilt trip about San Francisco and I rewound Hmm. and I chose David but the whole time I had already decided that he seemed really creepy and that if I was writing if I was if if I was this was a movie I would be looking for who the less obvious suspect was Mm -hmm. because we have a a super glowing obvious suspect which means in a movie it wouldn't be that and I just wasn't sure whether this game was just going to 
just go with the obvious or whether there would be a twist but yeah so so i had already it's funny because that's how it turned out but i wasn't you know but i didn't behave that way it was like i had two different approaches like my my narrative brain was saying david's probably misunderstood mr jefferson's probably way creepier than we think and yet i had max behave based on like the evidence and and I, I guess I'm also playing the role of Max, and so I'm having her behave a little bit differently, like because I wanted her to be kind of righteous, and I had I had built up what I thought Max would do, even though I'm sitting there thinking, mm, Mr. Jefferson, uh, it was Life is Strange yeah. gives you like a moral sandbox to be a jerk within and have these very specific uh, consequences at the end of it. Uh, is that how people play these games? Like, I always wonder the people who who do take it as like a sandbox, where like where people where people will play a game like this that's based on decisions, and they will make d- different decisions than they think the character would make, and also different decisions that they would make. Like, they, in other words, they use it as a sort of a consequence free way to play with uh, you know different ways of being. And I know people do play like that. Like, why they like to play games where they can do terrible things that they would never do in real life or whatever. But I'm I definitely fall into the camp of. I either want to play as myself, making decisions that I would make, or I want to inhabit the character. And in this game, I I pretty quickly inhabited the character. The only time I played it myself was at the very beginning of the game when you're faced with choices about, like, saying what you saw in the bathroom. Like, you know, Nathan Prescott had a gun, and here's what happened or whatever. The very, very beginning of the game, I didn't know anything too much about the character, and I, I played as straight up. I didn't know anything about the institution either, although I should have known because it's the Pacific Northwest and everything's creepy there. I'm going to say, look... This has happened in a school. You shouldn't have a gun in a school. I'm going to tell the truth about what happened. Yep. This guy had a gun. Yep. I don't care how rich he is, how whatever. And then you learn, oh, the institution is corrupt, and now forget it. So then, then I started inhabiting the character, because then you get to read on the... But the, but I first made the try for, like, let's be honest and straightforward and not try to game this, because in a functioning society, in a working school with an administration that cares about the students, this is the right thing to do. But the game very quickly says, you're not living in that world. Uh, and you're living in Max's world, and this is Max, and... Uh, once I inhabited her, I stopped thinking about what I would want to do and what would be the best choice for the game. I, I just thought entirely about what Max should or would do in that situation. As I was playing through these decisions, um, I d- did kind of the same thing where I started off like telling on Nathan and then it didn't seem good. So I, I immediately rebound and did it differently. And I feel like I also started playing as Max, who I think is pretty similar to me, except I felt like I was sneakier than she was. So I tried, <laughs> I played it like very straight laced, like the whole way through and making what I thought were morally right decisions and smart decisions in the game. And then after I finished the whole thing, I went back and I read the whole wiki page about all of the major decisions. And I was like, wait a second, there are for most of these things there really aren't bad consequences for doing the bad things like it just gets you closer with chloe um and it really doesn't change the outcome in any serious way and i was like oh i should go back and do it all the sneaky way but it changes the character though like if you make max behave badly the whole time she becomes a different person in the game even like i said they can't make the consequences that different because they can't have too many branching storylines so in the end you have to end up in the same spot but if you were to see it play out just showing the scenes and the actions you'd be like oh this max is being kind of a jerk here right and i didn't i didn't want her to be a jerk i didn't think she was a jerk i think she was trying to do the right thing in a difficult situation and had to make you know like that that's my read on the character is same thing getting into the eventual final decisions is based entirely about what i think uh max wanted out of out of everything and not what i particularly wanted or what the game wanted me to pick 
Yeah, Quinn, I think you played the way that Max herself would want to live her life, and that makes sense, but at the same time, you're right. If you go on the other direction, you wind up becoming a lot closer with Chloe, and when I first played the game, uh, the end, the very end decision really upset me because I thought, wait, really? This is how they're going to end the game? But after playing it more and thinking about how you could become closer with Chloe and make everything uh, you know, more in that vein, that ending made a lot more sense, and this game really, really rewards multiple playthroughs, which I really appreciate because of that. Uh, okay, so so that's my question. Yep. What did we all choose for the last decision? Oh my you god! Jump all the way to that right now. Yeah. Well, I, I just I wanted I want to judge the rest of you. I mean, I know how you and Brian <laughs> well, did. Okay. First, before we get there, there are, there are some other decisions that we should talk about. I also wanted to mention that talking about inhabiting Max, I was just I wanted her to be so nice. So like, I, I agreed to go to the drive-in with the boy. And yes. oh, well, see, but you, you yeah. have to ask yourself: yeah. Does Max actually want to go to the drive-in with Warren? She knows she was Warren just has being the hots nice. for her. Does she have the hots for him? No, no she I think doesn't. Warren. Warren is the most fascinating litmus test of whether or not you have sympathy for the uh, friend-zoned boy or not. Yeah, I did not. Well, I had a lot of sympathy because she kissed she kissed him before they all died too. Uh, but then again, no. I, then again, she kissed Chloe too. So <laughs> I didn't. Well, I didn't kiss Warren. <laughs> no, I didn't way. kiss Warren either. I kissed them both. <laughs> oh, Jason, you're such a slut. <laughs> Jason, you kissed them. Jason, I kissed the them both. <laughs> Absolutely. So Absolutely. I, I kissed them both as well, but I kissed Warren because I was going to rewind time. Exactly. I felt he was going to die. You know, it, it was a pity <laughs> kiss, really. No, you can't pity kiss. I actually let oh. David kill the teacher, too, because at that point oh. I was like, you know, I could rewind this, but I'm going to rewind it later anyway. So uh, it doesn't you matter. Stop, you stopped playing the character. You started playing Jason. No, no. Slash Master of <laughs> no, I was, I was playing oh, Max there. Max knows that this entire timeline is going to get rewound so she's like it's fine i'm out of here let's just be let's These just still be real people they're not just puppets oh of your God. time well, yeah magic. but she didn't want to well, lie but she didn't want to lie to him and and say the, that uh that that uh, chloe was okay when she wasn't i didn't want her to lie so instead she told the truth and what he shot the guy in the head that's another problem i had with the game is that there's a lot of consequences that really don't affect other things because almost immediately the timeline ends yeah. like with uh chloe asking for euthanasia like that has very little impact on the rest of the game just putting the audience through a really terrible thing for something I that I don't believe should have been there. I feel like that's got a strong emotional impact, and it does come around if you tell Chloe about it later in the game, which I did. Yeah, yeah, and that, that yeah, but it I doesn't. Did. It doesn't actually come around. Like it doesn't really have an effect on any part of the game. I didn't really understand why that was there either. Well, it's like a dead end. It's a gameplay dead end showing you, oh, you've gone down this alley, but you this alley does not go any farther. Like this is this it's like a bad ending that you get to avoid because you get to say, "All right, never mind." Like it's showing you an alternate path, but rather than saying and like an old style game would be like or even a choose your own adventure would be like, "Oh, three three uh choices into a choose your own adventure, you get to one of the aborted kind of not very satisfying endings that's that thing only in this game you get to stare at a picture and go okay try let's try again so in my version of the game when i need to when i'm back in time and i need to convince chloe not to run into the party and get herself killed um max tells her the story about how there was an alternate timeline where she saved her father and and uh, she was in this terrible situation and asked to be um euthanized and that she did it and that's the thing that convinces chloe not to charge into the party so for me yeah, it totally I, I worked narratively yeah well but i had exactly the same thing and i didn't choose to euthanize her so it, it has the same effect either way yeah but but yeah. that's not yeah. how yeah, i played it tell her about it <laughs> so it, it had value to story. me because yeah. 
because that's what because that's how it happened i also killed the plant though so you kissed them <laughs> killed the plant all the killing and all the kissing jason i did feed the bunny there's a bunny <laughs> what yeah oh you get kate's bunny and the bunny's on the floor of your dorm room on the third day and you, and you, you can give feed, it a carrot you give it yeah yeah brian you um, killed the bunny no <laughs> <laughs> One of the things about that scene outside the uh, Vortex Club party was, uh, one of my favorite things about this game is that there's these dialogue puzzles, like with Frank outside his RV and uh, a few other places where you need to get his keys and things like that. Uh, I didn't know that was a dialogue puzzle outside the Vortex Club in the alternate timeline where you have to tell Chloe whether or not you euthanized her. And on my first playthrough, I thought that was just, whoop, coast through, whatever, and you move on to the next scene. In my most recent playthrough that I finished maybe an hour ago, um, I failed a few times and i thought wait i thought this was just a direct path through this scene and it turns out it wasn't it wound up being uh i had to choose the exact right things uh just like when you had to keep uh kate from killing herself or um trying to get into frank's rv to get his uh, book of things and i really appreciate that there's these unique puzzles that this uh weird game lets you play with that isn't like move this block over here and pull this lever so who saved kate who saved kate raising my hand I saved Kate. I, I, I saved Kate, and like you mentioned, that the one with Frank outside, another dialogue puzzle. That is the one that I had the hardest time with. Like I had to go back the most times. The Kate one sailed through the first time. Every choice seemed super obvious to me. I knew it was a puzzle going into nope. the Kate one. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is going to be a challenge. And every time I was like, oh, this is the obvious answer. Oh, this but is the, the only Kate one choice one you here. Can't only rewind, one choice right? there. Yeah, you can't rewind. But if you mess it up, you have to start over again. But I. Yeah, maybe there's more than maybe this is what it is. I don't I don't know. Maybe there's more than one correct choice on a lot of trees, but when I looked at it, it always seemed like there was one obvious answer that was staring you in the face and the other two were awful. Well, some or, like or with Kate, some some of them you had to rely like with Kate, you needed to look at her pictures and see that her mother is being super strict, but her father is very nice. Yeah, I guess if I didn't know that it would have made to, it harder. And, and to realize you could say her father, which is what I did because I knew that her dad yeah. still cared for her, so I chose that and that yeah. was because I read that letter. I well, was, I was a good friend, Jason. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> you were a good Snoopy Snoop. That's what you were. <laughs> <laughs> That's what good friends do sometimes when their friends are in trouble. They read every ounce of text in their room. Yep. <laughs> you can get some of those wrong. I think you can get like one or two wrong or something. And some of them, I think, have multiple choices that will, right. will yeah, yeah. Uh, not count as a bad thing. But but yeah, you, you need to get the sort of the balance of your answers correct. It depends on what you did earlier in the game. Like, if you chose to take a picture or intercede a helper, like, it affects the balance on how many are good versus bad choices in that conversation. I could not save Kate uh, the first three times I played through that oh, scene. Brian. It got really oh disheartening for me. So, wow, you're a bad uh, friend. Yeah. At the end, I wound up looking at a, uh, a tree for how to save Kate. And one of the most depressing things you can find on the internet is a suicide uh, tree to see yeah, how you can save somebody. Good. And yeah, it wound up being like, okay, you can either choose this or this. Or if you helped her here, you can do this other good option. Yeah. And if you mess well, up too, then this you... Bible verse. Exactly, exactly. It was heartbreaking. I, I couldn't do it. Well, you didn't know about the bunny, Brian. So, I mean, how are you going <laughs> to... How are you, you ever going to... my fa- bunny! No! You're not my friend! The the thing, one of the places where it was obvious that there were these two options is that dialogue about Kate in the next the next day is very much like 
I will insert a lot. Oh, she is dead now. Or, oh, you right. saved her. You are a hero. But it's like... The, the whole scene with um, her in the hospital was a, a late addition yes, to the game. That's that they the part did. that I said it felt like, oh, and now let's go to the hospital. I'm like, okay. But I think they realized that they needed to actually do good by the character and not just, you know, move yeah, on with the game. You saved her. Now you never need to see her again. Goodbye. That's right. She might as well be dead because we don't want to animate her again. It's not Exactly. Because in one timeline, she's dead and you don't see her again. In another timeline, she's in the hospital and you don't see her yeah. again so i really appreciate they put that scene in it f- did feel a little jarring but i'm glad it was there because i damn it i earned it <laughs> um all right uh, how, how i i uh, i'm gonna make my admission about how i ended this game which is i sat there and i thought about it and i thought about it because you're given the decision at the end to save chloe or save the town and i finally thought well i think max would save the town but the way that the, it's worded is sacrifice Chloe or sacrifice Arcadia Bay. So I thought, yeah, I think she would save Arcadia Bay. I'll press the button for Arcadia Bay. Oh, no, I sacrificed Arcadia Bay. User error. Like so much in your life, Jason, the choice was made for you. Yeah. Like, kissing everyone and then destroying that's, the town. That's Max. Max is kiss, kissing boys and girls, feeding bunnies, and destroying the town. <laughs> I'm destroying the town accidentally because... Her. The the what the person operating Max's body is incompetent. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wait, <laughs> reading wait, comprehension. Said, no, no, Chloe, I totally meant you. That was totally. It was. I totally meant for you to survive. You should have a scene later where it says, "But Max, you didn't save me." It's like, I, but I meant to. Well, I decided that Max or possibly me was in love with Chloe, and <laughs> oh my. Uh, after everything that had happened, she's in love with more. The, 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 the no, town. No, no, she's not. The, the, you know, what does it matter? Uh, she's the most important thing. I've spent the entire game saving her life. Uh, I, you know, fallen in love with her over the course of the game. She changed her phone uh, desktop picture to be me. So, yeah, the, the, the town, like my parents aren't there. So, <laughs> well, I also saved Chloe, but for a different reason. Um, <laughs> I I don't know. I felt like I made decisions like everyone was talking about earlier that led to Chloe and I becoming closer friends together. Yes. And like I said earlier in that she reminded me of an actual friend that I had. And so I saw the things like I made the choices that Max would make that would kind of appeal to chloe in order to get closer to her because she saw her as like this cool friend that she hasn't been able to see for many years and now all of a sudden they're in this thing together and they have to figure this thing out together and she's getting accepted kind of by this person that is a little bit more cool than she is and more adventurous and more exciting and it's more of a camaraderie thing than anything like i stole the money to help (laughs) chloe i said like take it you should take this money um wow i know i'm terrible and uh i don't know like i i went through the game excited for when chloe would think i was cool even though i would go against my own better judgment of what i would do and like i really felt that i viscerally felt that and so in the end i'm like screw this town if you could have dyed your hair purple you would have done it too wouldn't you just ride off into the sunset together (laughs) two besties (laughs) one of the things in the game depending on the choices you make if you do the the sacrifice chloe you you either have a hug or a passionate kiss basically (gasps) really oh my yeah because my my Mm -hmm. playthrough had a passionate kiss and i didn't know that was an option yeah yeah no it's it's only you only see it on the sacrifice one so if if you go for the um 
sacrifice the town, you, you know, you ride off into the sunset. But, um, if for the, for the sacrifice Chloe, yeah, you need to have kissed her, not kissed Warren, uh, taken the blame for lots of stuff and, and whatever. <laughs> but basically, I think there's four things you have to do. And if you do that, then I, I don't know. I felt like the, the Chloe Max relationship was very Thelma and Louise, you know, like two best friends taking on something. I felt like Chloe's tr- Chloe, Chloe was in love with Rachel Amber. That's what I felt is that that was who she was in love with. The, this well, girl okay. who is gone. I, I didn't and dead. get that either. Ooh. I didn't yeah. get that very much. No, the, so, the, no there's references besties. to that. There's references to them being in love. I can't remember what it is, but there's a, there's a specific thing. And also Max puts in her diary after the kisses and stuff. She's, she, she's definitely into Chloe. So I also chose to save Chloe and I chose that for two reasons. I thought about for a long time and one, because I, firmly believe that max and i are in love with chloe um and like i from like day one of this game i was like all right this is happening we're gonna make this happen and then i was i was really annoyed at the end because like they do ride off into the sunset together and then i like i said i looked up all the choices and i saw that there's one path where you kiss chloe at the end of the sacrifice and i'm like wait why didn't i get a kissed for chloe and max when i chose to save her that doesn't seem fair anyway um but i also chose it because the last decision of the game really annoyed me yep and i totally saw that that's what the game had been leading up to the entire time and it made sense but also didn't make sense because like why would this work in the mechanics of the game and she had this vision before she even did that thing with the decision to save chloe so why would that fix everything and like we're just going to assume that there will be no problems ever again i thought it was a very annoying choice to me so i was like no game i'm choosing chloe for me what really annoyed me about that ending was i i immediately chose to sacrifice the town and save chloe and right off into the sunset because maybe this was just the way i played my first playthrough but honestly when i played through my anti-self playthrough and did everything opposite it. I still felt this way. They spend the entire time talking about how terrible Arcadia Bay is and how much they want to get out. And by the end of the game, uh, Jefferson is revealed as the villain. Nathan is terrible. The Prescotts are there. They hate David Madsen. I, I don't see any reason to save Arcadia Bay at that point. So that's what upset me the most about um, about sacrificing the, t- the town and saving Chloe. Was like, yeah, it's of course of that's the way whales. to go. They don't need it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But then there's um, when I played through the other one where you sacrifice Chloe. Chloe, I realized that the the way that they save Arcadia Bay is to kill Chloe and let everything that they worked for the entire game happen immediately. And that was heartbreaking. So that really made sense to me. It was a really effective way to illustrate that, you know, if you want to save Arcadia Bay, quote unquote, by preventing the storm and also preventing uh, the Prescotts and Mr. Jefferson from doing their terrible, terrible things, then you sacrifice Chloe. And that made a lot more sense to me. And I, I still felt that saving Chloe was the most organic option, for the lack of a better word, in, on my second playthrough. But I still felt that it was a good, satisfying ending to sacrifice her, even though I don't think the game lends itself to that at all. So what did they actually show when you save Arcadia Bay? You get a full funeral and lots of... uh, It made me quite, quite upset to watch it. Mm -hmm. And they crumple up all the pictures of your memories of you and Chloe. Yeah. They burn them all, like in in cutscene things. But immediately, uh, Nathan shoots Chloe, gets arrested, therefore they find Jefferson, therefore nothing bad happens. Life just goes on and there's a death. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. When, when I made the final decision, I made it pretty quickly. I didn't think on it 
too long because by this point I was well and truly playing as Max and I had decided pretty early on that Max is not into Warren. That Max <laughs> is in love with Chloe. That yep. Max doesn't know what 100%. it means to be in love with Chloe. St- still has the expectation that she is supposed to like Warren or boys in general, but doesn't. Um, so, I, you know, I didn't have her kiss Warren, but I did, you know, in many choices, you were forced to sort of uh, unintentionally lead Warren on. And I felt like that was a realistic depiction of her struggling with these things. I don't know if Chloe was into her, but I spent the whole game trying to have a healthy relationship with Chloe. So I wasn't saying, oh, Chloe wants me to do the naughty thing. I'm going to do it. I wanted to have, I didn't want to be like, oh, like some weird codependent enabling thing where I enable Chloe's bad behavior. Are you judging my decisions, John? <laughs> yes, I am. Because I, I, I wanted to, I didn't want to just, I didn't want to impress Chloe. Chloe wasn't my older sister who I'm trying to show that I'm cool. I wanted to have a relationship with Chloe, but I didn't want to give in to her egging me on to bad behavior i wanted to i wanted to build a foundation for a strong relationship and so i felt like i walked that line between occasionally she was mad at me but i had to be you know i had to be myself and i felt like i was generally a good person and i didn't have as many problems that i was acting out about as as she did and i did have some guilt about you know not contacting chloe or whatever so come the end of the game it's so clear to me that max does not want to live without chloe not guaranteed that Chloe's going to reciprocate any of that. And I was also kind of, uh, you know, the thing that a couple other people talked about, I was not convinced, given the time travel mechanics, that the choice to, uh, quote-unquote, sacrifice Arcadia Bay would actually cause all that many additional deaths and that the alternate choice would, would save them. Because we've learned there's lots of, you know, in any time travel thing, there's lots of weird consequences and yeah, the tornado is going to wreck a lot of property and maybe one or two people will die. But who's to say a bunch of people won't die from other things like car accidents or, you know, you know what I mean? Like it didn't seem I didn't buy into I think Max would be like, I don't know well and truly that the consequences will just be as clean as Chloe alive, Chloe dead, town wrecked, town not wrecked. Um, and so I did care about the people in the town. But I remember the very scenes of walking through the half wrecked town and seeing, well, some people survive. Not every single person in the town dies. It's not like it gets nuked off the map. Um, and Chloe and, and Max wanted 100% to be with Chloe. It's the most important thing in her entire world. Yeah. You know, she doesn't quite understand why yet. And so I didn't spend much time fretting. And it was more like, well, I know what Chloe wants. And in the in-game world, I don't buy I, I don't buy the, the solidity of this choice. So definitely always save Chloe. Also, not let's talk about the, uh, just the narrative. Like, what is this story about? If you zoom back, this story is about the relationship between these two characters. So I guess what you're choosing is the bittersweet end where the character realizes she can't actually be with this other character. Which I reject because she can, because she's got time travel skills. But that seems wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Thematically, I think that the, the uh, saving Chloe is the right answer. But, you know, I pressed the wrong button. So what do I know? I agree, but on the uh, other side of that, I really appreciate that they don't give any context whatsoever for why she has these powers or what this storm is. And yeah, it's taken as read that you using these time travel powers is kind of angering God or nature or whatever it is that's causing the storm, which I appreciate. And they stuck to their guns and made sure that that was the only explanation they gave. The and birds, in the, face the birds, of, the birds. <laughs> and in the face of either killing Chloe or saving the town, it's Chloe versus this weird benevolent force you don't really understand. The one thing that I did was I was quite nice to Victoria Ch- Chase, even though yes, me too. she was not a nice person mm-hmm. and yeah. uh that got her killed yes because she i warned her about nathan so she runs off to uh 
Mr. Jefferson and ends up uh, dead in the darkroom as a result. And I was like, oh, I, I should have not been nice to her. <laughs> Turns out. No, that's not that's not a lesson, though. That's the whole point of these time travel stories. It's not tell, the, the, the right, the, you know, doing the right thing doesn't always have the consequences you want, but that doesn't mean that you like that, that life is a game and that you should go back and do the terrible thing because you know it will lead to the opposite outcome. Like, uh, I can save you by being mean to you in this moment is not a mechanic that is useful in the real world. Yeah, what the game has really taught me is don't water a plant every single day. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, that's why otherwise I killed the it plant because I feel like I'm not going to overwater it. Like, once a day is fine for a plant. Nope, you killed it. I'm like, this, these people have these people never seen mm. plants. You can water it once a day. Fr- it's fine. French plants are like that. Yeah, I think they don't mm. have plants in France. They they don't. If somebody's still listening who hasn't played this game, you can see like so much. So much of this game is about storytelling and options and how it changes things. And that's one one of the things that I was fascinated by about it. And talking about it afterward, it's like every. It's like we all read a book that that had different pages in it <laughs> it's just like it's fascinating right but i did want to mention at least one of the things that i like about the gameplay that i didn't talk about before the spoiler horn which is as we learn how to use uh use max's powers um one of the things that i noticed fairly early on was when you wind time back you end up still standing where you were standing when you wound it back so you move mm-hmm. and i thought that's interesting i wonder if that will become relevant and literally i think the next thing i i realized oh this is this is this is relevant because you're actually able to do things like at one point you can smash open a lock walk into a room wind time back now the lock is intact again and there are a couple times where you have to kind of go through um toward the end you have to go um you have to suppress the fire, which electrocutes the guy, and then you go into where the guy is and wind yep. time back and then help him out. And uh, I, I really liked that detail of the mechanic. Like, it stuck with the rules, and the rules were fairly consistent. I felt that way about the photographs, too, which is this really esoteric idea that the photographs, Max can jump into the photographs, but only what's visible in the photographs, and it's like a little slice of time. And it has an impact that radiates out from there but she doesn't live the rest of it she comes back out of it to where she is now in the newly created timeline and that isn't gone into in that level of detail but the rules are all there and they're followed and i liked i like that about a bunch of the the time travel stuff that they had rules they were in place and they were they felt consistently applied and i didn't feel like i was being cheated those are the best mechanics of the game. She tells Chloe that, okay, we're having this conversation now because I'm back in time. I'm not going to remember this. Yeah. So just go back through our life and you'll know when I come back. Well, and the conversation in the diner is a good one because it's how do you convince somebody that you traveled in time if they aren't going to remember it? And so they do the what's in my pockets game as a yeah. way for her and then and then then you have to remember what happens in the diner next and wind that back and that's i like that because you're using the power but it's also narratively straightforward of how would you prove that you have this power to somebody i, I would do something much more impressive because i feel like a magician could figure out what's in your pockets to, well you know, as it, tur- as it turns out you could just disappear right you could actually wind time you could actually exactly, walk somewhere yeah. grab a bunch of stuff wind time back and you disappear and then come back with like a gold bar or something yeah, and nobody some, some, would know something they suggested that you get like and i think the time travel mechanics like uh you know uh, tiff was saying about braid like you can make lots of fun gameplay mechanics out of time travel and they do they do a pretty reasonable job of doing them in the context of a walk around explore point and click adventure 
but then there are other mechanics in this game that are from from more from the point and click genre and i think the ones everyone remembers are looking through that junkyard for bottles oh god those uh, damn bottles. Oh, yeah. i spent about an hour on that there is a line of dialogue when she's in her hellscape at the very end before she ends up on the hill when she's in her nightmare mm-hmm. scape there is a moment where there's a bottle and if you pick it up she goes like no freaking bottles i am in hell and it just made me laugh <laughs> so that's again with the game developers learning what people's criticisms uh-huh. were like those type of mechanics like that that are that are from a bygone era of like hidden objects in in the environment what was the other one there was some other uh, very annoying uh gameplay mechanic that wasn't dialogue based wasn't time travel based was just like stealth sequence stuff yeah Um, i mean the stealth sequence has some foundation but it's a a little bit too hard i was gonna say it was selecting items on the on the um on the conspiracy cork board was the one that i was just like a little frustrated by yeah like that was a good idea for a puzzle but like again the mechanics like there those things it's almost as they felt like we need to have like a video gamey part of this video game that is (laughs) in in the in the again hidden object point and click static background king's quest tile only made more more annoying by the fact that like in very you know in the junkyard one you've got chloe sitting there twiddling her thumbs for ridiculous Long amount of time, time. well you, like it totally destroys like your ability to, i'm gonna play max as a natural person natural person was like seriously you're gonna walk up and down the aisles of this junkyard for an hour while i stand here tapping my feet that's not natural it takes you takes you out of the game and i think that those are definitely the weakest parts of the game where it's not like they need to do them differently just remove them like they don't need to be there at all oh see i found the bottles pretty fast because i'm really good at video games <laughs> <laughs> What's worse to me is when those annoying mechanics get in the way of a major plot point. There's a moment in Bioshock Infinite where a big plot twist happens and it's ruined immediately by a big battle that took me three hours to get through. And in this game, when you travel back in time through a photograph for the first time to meet Chloe's dad, William, uh, that was a huge moment for me. But then I was stuck on the key puzzle to try to keep him from leaving the house for <laughs> an hour or so. And I was so annoyed that this amazing plot twist was ruined. But that puzzle is, I feel like, is in is an in-world puzzle. Finding the bottles is arbitrary game decides you need X bottles, right? And yeah. if, you, if you happen to see them, you see them. And if you don't happen to see them, you're like, why? Why game? Why do I need five bottles to continue this sequence? I don't actually need five. You've just decided that's an arbitrary member and four will not do and you won't <laughs> let me proceed. And that annoys me because there's no in-game reason. Whereas hiding the keys feels totally like a rewind time kind of like for example hiding hiding when david comes in is like catching them in the room with like smoking the joint or whatever and you have to hide in the closet i could not figure out how to hide in the closet i tried to hide in the closet the lamp <laughs> fell over yep. i rewound i tried again couldn't figure it out i'm like you know what i'm just gonna stand here i'll talk to david i got no problem yeah. with that. that happened to me too john <laughs> i hid in the closet but i came out so, so like and, and same thing we were talking about quinn was saying earlier how she she told on nathan it was truthful but then realized that the the institution was corrupt and rewound I made the same realization, but I didn't rewind. I said, well, I've learned something, but I'm not going to play this game like I rewind every time something doesn't go the way I want it to, mostly because I know this type of game, and it's not as if the other choices are, are actually that much better. Anyway, I wanted to play the way I wanted to play. So I felt like this is Chloe learning that the school that she, you know, uh, has such high ideals about that she really wants to go to, it's important to her to be with these RT people in this school. Actually, this, the school as an institution is not supporting her and is corrupted by this rich family, and she just learned that in the game. And I didn't want to rewind it and make her, you know, do something different about it. I wanted her to sort of 
take that as a you know a, a learning grow from this experience and move on with your life now becoming all, slightly more cynical learning the adult world is not what you thought it was i i really liked the the bit with the photos in in the last chapter where you're sort of you, you're strapped to the chair in the dark room and you're trying to get out and you're, mm-hmm. you're sort of doing all these different bits and then you get the nightmare and i can't remember at what point you do that you get the the whole alternate timeline where you go and you go to san francisco and you wander around the art gallery and stuff and you and you think everything's perfect and then you realize uh no you know the the hurricane is still going to destroy the town the whole time i'm sitting thinking no but the whirlpool it's happening though it's gonna it's gonna destroy but what i liked about that and, and talking about playing fair with the time travel story is when she tears her picture um and then she wakes up back restrained in the dark room i was like whoa like she was whoa how did this happen but then it all follows like by destroying the picture when the rest of the the story proceeds except that he um he burns her diary because he's frustrated about her not turning in that picture which means that she now can't go back and do what she Mm. did previously and it's it is internally consistent again they thought it through i really liked it and it is it's it's all super creepy i i I feel like the stuff at the very end that was the nightmarish going through stealth through various lights being shined on you on the way to the lighthouse i thought that went on way too long yeah that was too much i hated that but i did like the twisty turning part before that where you're we're going into all these different alternate realities and into pictures and trying to escape the the lair and all of that i liked all of that it was just the the lighthouse stuff i didn't like did you not like the uh the, the dreamscape place because it was annoying to do the stealth parts because i i like that whole I, I always like when there's a chapter in, in in any kind of thing where it's just you know off the rails weird sidewalks floating in space especially since you get to revisit so many things from earlier in the game provided that you get to sail through it and experience it if you have to repeatedly play a portion of it then it loses its charm and you like all right we need to get through this. it felt too long to me not that i didn't think it was fine i thought there was just way too much of it and the other thing is with the rewind mechanic you literally can just kind of walk until the light shines you and then back up and then keep walking so it's it, it what didn't feel particularly challenging in that way just kind of annoying like oh i you know i need to get to the lighthouse I, the the second part like i like the fact that you're being menaced by all of these different characters who are saying things that are basically right out of your subconscious these characters you've met before i thought that was all great i just i i kind of wanted it to go faster which i guess is me saying i kind of wanted to be easier just because i wanted to mosey through it and get the experience of it and i didn't feel like at the climax of the story that i wanted to be challenged by a walk where the guy isn't shining his flashlight game for another 10 minutes there's also the fact that I've heard a big criticism of this genre of games is that, oh, they aren't really games because they don't have a fail condition. And in a way, that makes sense. But I would argue the fail condition of this game, as well as any of the other games like Gone Home, uh, is that you don't get the story. Even if you don't die, even if there's no leaderboards, even if there's no nothing else, if you just stop, the screen goes great. Oh, you get to rewind again. I would argue that the fail state of these games is that you don't get the story and that it falls flat on you. But there's also the fact that uh, talking about the Nightmare Dreamscape, uh, the effectiveness of level design and uh, set design, uh, probably not set design, whatever, the area design was so incredibly creepy and effective. And I loved walking around and seeing the horrific graffiti, all the Rachel Amber posters, all of the uh, like scribbled out eyes on some of the things, the pigeons flying into the window. That is what makes Life mm. is Strange effective to me. There's the uh, the argument that these games are, quote, all just like lesser versions of teen 
writing novels, unquote. And I really appreciate that the defining uh, separator between a novel, just the regular story, and playing Life is Strange is the interactivity being in the middle of this really creepy, really effective room where there's no actual reality and just covered with these pictures from the dark room with these menacing characters and all of your anxieties being blasted back at you. It was the most effective thing. Like when she's sitting inside the snow globe, uh, that mm, reminded me a yeah. lot of uh, a lot of people talking about the religious experience they had in VR for the first time where they're sitting there and they like figure out this new perspective almost immediately in this new headset. That's exactly what that snow globe scene reminded me of. And I thought it was perfect. The whole nightmare section I thought was beautifully done and so, so cool. But I also didn't really like the the whole sneaking around getting to the lighthouse part mostly because i am easily spooked mm. and i don't like stealth sections and so we got to the stealth section and i was like no and i actually immediately looked up how you get out of the mr jefferson part the first maze part because i was like i can't do this and this i was actually playing this in the middle of the day in a car and at one point um i was facing away from him and he came up behind me and went max and actually yelled out loud yeah <laughs> it's also really it's also actually a very dark scene which makes it hard to play if there's light around you actually need to play that in the dark ideally adjust, adjust your brightness adjust your brightness seriously always go to the setting scene and adjust your bright yeah so this it's kind of a shame that i'm well, not ashamed but i think one one way the game could have done this is to have the courage of its conviction and say there is no gameplay to the dreamscape floating sidewalk section like the second part where you're just walking you are going to walk through this and you're going to look at things if you want to look at them and you're going to hear them based on the spatial audio if you get close to them and you can even still have mr jefferson walking around creepily with a flashlight but there there would be no gameplay consequences for it and they feel like well we can't have that this is a game how are we going to have this whole level that we spend all this time designing where you know, where like Brian said, there's no fail condition. Like all you do is walk through it. But a lot of the games that I have I've come to love, like that you earn a sequence like this, that you earn it by building up the things that will make everything in this sequence consequential and make them resonate with you, and that you allow the player to walk through it, being uh confident that they're going to have the experience you want, despite the fact that whether they realize it or not literally all they are doing is walking from point a to point b and there's no way you can get lost and there's no enemies and there's no fail condition there's no need to rewind and that that will better allow all of the great things that you've incorporated here to land without them being distracted like you know oh i i have to do the stealth thing but also look at this poster and this thing and even just having the guy yell max and, and scare you like you can still have that without there being consequences there's uh, I mean, Journey did that to, to varying degrees where there appear to be consequences in the game when bad things happen to you, but you can't actually die and you don't actually know that. So you can even, again, bluff where people may think, boy, I was so hard doing that nightmare dreamscape section. I thought at any second I was going to die and only later to realize, actually, there's nothing you can do in that section to get caught or die in any way. You're just constantly in fear that you're going to because the creepy guy with the flashlight is around, but just you just walk through it. Um, so that probably would have been a better choice, but... Um, you know, like these games, they the same thing with the bottles. That instinct to gamify it is very strong. I think they probably with that stealth thing, they'd had the stealth mechanic from an earlier episode. And, you know, because there's the bit in around the swimming pool and you have to sort of just get away from uh, the cops. Yeah, the, the cops. That feels that feels more natural to the story because I felt like I was hiding, hiding with my my friend slash crush. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like that's that's the game and not so much like I'm concerned I'm going to get hit, but it's like the two of us playing hide and seek whereas this is just you by yourself and not being able to progress i'm assuming from a development point of view they had all that 
you know, that code. And we're like, yeah, well, I, we, we yeah. can put this in something that, else. That's the gamification. Like, they want it to, in a game, you learn a mechanic in the beginning of the game. And then at the end of the game, you use all the mechanics that you've learned to do the final thing. And I just feel like for this game, like, it's something that Gone Home resisted. Like, the Gone Home very stubbornly resisted adding too much gamification to it. That they had the confidence to say, no, there is no game. This is it. This is just, you just learn things and you progress. And our climax is a revelation. Our climax is not a, an exercise of gameplay mechanics or solving a particularly hard puzzle, right? And it's difficult to do that because then people will call your game not a game, but I still think it totally is. So, Brian, I, I'm fascinated by you saying how, you know, there's a criticism that there's no there's no uh, failure condition here, so therefore it's not a game. And, and to that, I will say... Anybody who thinks that dying and then reloading from a save point is literally any different than having a failure and rewinding time is kidding themselves. This is, I took it as a really delightful meta commentary on how games work, that in this game, you just wind it back if you don't get the outcome you like, you know, whereas in another game, you die and then restore. I think, I, I think strangely enough, winding back time seems to me to be more realistic than exiting the game universe, <laughs> reloading from a save point and coming back to where you were. Wait, wait till you hear about quick saves, Jason. No, this, is, this, is not, this is not the first game to like, you know, you have, uh, what do you call it? Principal of Sands of Time and yeah, uh, Braid right? that Tiff mentioned. Like, the, the rewind mechanic is very common. It's the, the question of how you incorporate that into the game. And sometimes it's not particularly naturalistic at all or fitting with the universe. In this game, it is very well woven in because it's like the crux of right. the entire game. <laughs> There's no failure because you just wind it back. Yeah. The, 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 uh, the mechanic of cheating your way through games by, ra- by a ratchet technique, by if you make positive progress, save, and if you make negative progress, revert to the previous save, yeah. at a granularity that is even finer than the rewind mechanic mechanic as in seconds at a time sure. with quick save things in pc games is an anti-pattern the game designers uh, have been designing against for many many years now because once it became possible on pcs to do that they realized this breaks our game this lets people play it in a way that we don't intend to be played so now we need to put limits and then checkpoint systems or other ways of restricting saves and that that was also an anti-pattern of checkpoints that are too far apart to make people frustrated they don't want to play through it and this sort of modern error mechanic with the rewind is kind of the middle ground where it feels more naturalistic but they're also you notice the rewind has limits right sure and so that's their way of preventing you from quick saving and, and you lose the narrative one of the things that i've felt about a lot of games that i played where you know you die and you respawn and then and and then you get it right is the narrative ends up being a continual chain where you did everything right and it, except you know that that's not what happened you did it wrong a bunch of times and then those were erased and so when i look at life is strange i think i did get the continual narrative and when i did fail at something i as the character corrected it and it feels as a result it feels like a continuous narrative in a way that a lot of video games where you're reloading or respawning don't so yes so i'm saying thumbs up to that and and that's that's i think that's a good game mechanic the puzzle outside frank's rv again uh you can do that over and over again until you get the uh the outcome you want where no one gets shot no one gets bitten frank isn't upset you get the book like there's so many different ins and outs there yeah. that if you want you can just play through it once kill frank and move on and that's what i did when i was doing a speed run before this episode and it, it's fascinating <laughs> that it's built into the game like that just kill frank and move on it never even occurred to me to try to kill frank like i said that's the one i spent the longest time because I knew that it was possible for all things to go well because I knew the characters. I felt like I knew who Frank was. I knew who I was. I knew who Chloe was. Like, we can work this out. And that was frustrating for me because I felt like a lot of the choices that I thought should lead to a positive outcome inexplicably led down to an instant 
an instant death type scenario that that felt the least fair to me i felt like there should have been more but like very often in these games this is part of the game mechanic jason mentioned it before where they will give you options you'd be like well i wouldn't write any of these options like all three of these options are bad and that's that's the game <laughs> like they don't want you to give you the, the good option um but i still feel like there should be a way to wind through and that frank one felt like maybe it's because of the choices i made earlier with frank but that frank one felt like a very narrow valley for three people in a confrontation that shouldn't really be in confrontation because all of them are at at their at their core generally good people i felt like I, it was established for the characters that, that this could turn to violence or murder or like you know a, a, a lost condition in the game so quickly felt kind of unfair to me but i i stubbornly rewound it until i found the path through because i knew it was possible one of the things that I really liked in the game is the sort of the, the lots of references everywhere. So to like the obvious example is the car number plates, the which Twin are all Peaks. TV shows. Yeah. So Chloe's <laughs> is Twin Peaks and every single one of them is, you know, something like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or, or, or something, uh, reasonably in theme with the, the thing. But just like there was a receipt in uh victoria's room like some just some random receipt and the name of the store clerk was amelia pond <laughs> i really liked max's t-shirts i was yeah. super into her t-shirts yeah, i like that one with the deer on it. Mm-hmm. I would, I would spirit deer i really like the jane doe one and i liked it so much i ordered one on etsy <gasps> <What>? <gasps> i know but no i, I like the progression of her t-shirts because it started off like with jane doe right that was mm. her first shirt and then it was the deer which represents rachel and then it was the um death's head moth was on her t-shirt yeah. after that and then finally it was a cow skull and so i thought that was so cool the way they did that the butterfly theme obviously this is a they uh, they make reference to the ray bradbury story uh the butterfly effect where you step on a butterfly and it changes uh it changes the course of history there are butterflies all over this game there are also little swirly things in the sky and lots of motes of dust caught in light beams some of which is probably the game engine uh but some of it is also uh, that this is the theme, the sense that there's some magical thing happening here. Something weird is going on in the town. And I really like that. The Jane Doe t-shirt, that's pretty nice. I think there's also a bit of Donnie Darko in it. And there's some Donnie Darko references. Yeah. Um, there's a good bit of Twin Peaks as well. And there's like an end shot. One of the end shots is like exactly the sh- the beginning shot of the twin peaks with the the sign and stuff like that yeah the pacific northwest and maine both have a pr problem from pop culture because like <laughs> if you read any stephen king you want to stay as far away from maine as possible and i've only seen a few <laughs> things set in the pacific northwest and like twin peaks really set the tone for me in my childhood yeah. that it just seems like a creepy place where you probably should not go any place with co- rugged coast and uh, lighthouses is a uh, creep central yeah, someone someone's going to be murdered and then some people are going to have <laughs> to think about that murder for their entire life and then someone will discover that it happened and more bad things will happen it's just just the way it goes as a person currently sitting in maine can confirm it is exactly like stephen king all the time <laughs> <laughs> i've been to visit and i've read a lot of stephen king and i'm like yep i know what this is like <laughs> I just, I'm just waiting to be murdered now. It's fine. The one thing that if I replay it that I might try to do is um, you've got places that you're supposed to take photos 
on in each yeah. episode, mm-hmm. and I ne- I, I only did a handful mechanic. of those. Yeah, that seems like to do them all, you would have to do things that are unnatural. For you'd have to stop playing naturalistically because I know they want you to say like, oh, I see this beautiful thing, I'll take a picture. But the problem is they want you to take pictures of very specific things from very specific angles, and it's like if I don't feel compelled to go there, now I'm I'm not playing the game as Max anymore. Now I'm playing the game as a game player, saying I have to get all these collectibles, and that feels out of sorts with this type of game. One of the photos is a picture of the rabbit, so you have to have found the rabbit. Yes. <laughs> I, I took that picture. How could you f- not find the rabbit? <laughs> I also recommend if you go do another playthrough, uh, look at the text messages and the diary uh, in the Nightmarish Hellscape. Oh my god, they rewrote everything. It's horrific. So we have a uh, final judgment? Yes, final judgment. I liked it a lot. I'm glad I played it. I... Um, I regret putting it off only because then I had to really cram at the end, and I would have liked to have had this happen over an episode a week or an episode a day, but um, but I, I loved it, and I will probably consider playing it again just to see other outcomes, but I'm fairly happy with how mine end up, ended up. John, what's your final judgment? So this game is extremely uneven in the, the, the pantheon of games that I've played and that I've played games that are that that highs are just as high and there aren't as many lows and that are more coherent and hold together this is kind of like a a glorious mess but I tend to like glorious messes and like I you know you applaud them for their ambition to say that their their reach exceeded their grasp by just a little bit Um, but like so many things as you forget the details of the game and as the the gameplay flaws and other aspects of the that don't hold up quite as well as some other games fade from memory. What's left is the feeling of playing the game. And if there's no feeling of playing the game, then you just forget it and it's terrible. But there is definitely a feeling, uh, for, you know, I, I will take something away from this gameplay experience, which elevates it well above, I feel like, if you were to look at it on paper and say, how well does this game perform at being a game? How well does the story hold together, uh, you know? How do all the pieces fit? Does it play fair? Like just the game mechanic stuff. All that falls away when when all you're left with, and this is kind of good that we're doing this podcast months after I played the game. All you're left with is the feeling of playing the game. And the feeling stays with me and it's a good feeling. And they they did it well where it counted. Like I was saying before with the dialogue, where, yeah, so they, it's maybe not it was maybe not as convincing to me as they would have hoped it would be. But they do everything else so right that I'm willing to forgive it. And then it just, it, it just you know, it, it goes by the wayside. And all I'm left with are these characters who I will gladly, you know, imbue with all the things that I feel like they're missing because I relate to them. Um, and they're able to make me play as Max and inhabit that character and make decisions as that character, which is how I prefer to play this type of game. Um, and so, you know, in the end, it, 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 the game delivered. There's a lot of movies I watch like this, too, where... You look at the movie and it gets maybe, you know, middle of the road reviews. Some people think it's okay. Some people really hate it. But, you know, it's not a movie that everyone says is great. But you come out of it saying, this movie really got to me. And you see all the flaws that everyone else was citing in the movie, but it still connects with you. So that, that that's how I feel with Life is Strange. Kind of a, kind of a, uh, a glorious mess that happened to connect with me. Quinn, what, do you, what did you think overall? Similar to what John was saying, um, I have one big measure for whenever I'm watching or playing anything of, do I like this? And it's, do I care about what's happening to these characters? And overwhelmingly, yes. I cared so much about Max and Chloe and everyone in the town, even Warren. And so I really enjoyed the the whole game and being able to play it and experience it because I knew basically nothing about it when I went in. I thought that was really great. Um, I did have my problems with it, but overall, 
two thumbs up from me. Tiff, final judgment? I really just connected with the art style and the music of this and the, and the whole visceral experience of this game and you know gameplay aside and the cool mechanics of it you know i find when i really like a game i go looking for their merch <laughs> afterwards <laughs> or something so this was definitely hugely telling and i'm i'm just really it hit home for me it it felt a little bit like my teenagehood minus all of the um you know time rewinding and stuff i felt really deeply sad about the whales but maybe that's just the coastal elite in me um because i yeah it was seeing those whales are beach whales are super sad let me tell you they They are are super sad um but i uh and they even showed it in the menus right like when you were on the later episodes like the beached whales were on in the menu the, the the scene of the town um but yeah i i mean this game really I felt like I was watching a movie and I couldn't or reading a great book and I couldn't wait to get back to it when I wasn't playing. So I I really uh, I really liked it. So thank you, James, for suggesting this one, because it's going up there as a favorite of mine, because I just um, I really enjoyed all the elements and it it connected. It connected. Um, Although the creepy parts in the dark room were just (laughs) deeply disturbing. But anyway, we got through it. You know, it's good. Brian, what's your verdict? Ditto everyone else. I'm so, so glad that uh, I played this. The the first time I played this, the week or so uh, over time I played it, I couldn't stop thinking about it, and I wanted to get back to it as soon as possible, which very rarely happens with me. Uh, again, like Tiff, this is the very first time in a while that I've wanted to go buy the merch of something uh, as, soon as, uh, as soon as I finished it. I'm glad it exists. I'm glad that despite its problems, somebody had the ambition to go out and make this, and and even if the textures aren't very good, even if the models aren't very good, David Madsen's one of the ugliest things I've ever had to see. Yeah. Like, <laughs> despite all of that, this game stuck <laughs> with me and really affected me in a way that not many things do. And I have problems with it, like we already talked about. I also think the game is very emotionally manipulative at times, but we already did our Black Mirror episode, so I won't go back <laughs> into that. And I think that, you know, in the future, this kind of mechanic and this kind of ambitious storytelling game with all these different paths is going to be refined. And I'm so glad that somebody started doing this because it paves the way for a lot of other writers and a lot of other artists and a lot of other designers to come in and make a contribution to this culture and this genre of game. And I cannot wait for the future of this. And I cannot wait to, you know, like John said, like everyone else said, forget the things I had problems with and then have just the good feelings of Max and Chloe kissing uh, stick <laughs> with me. And I'm really excited to see what happens in the future. But that's the bad ending when they kiss. Don't forget. James, judgment. So, I mean, the, my my judgment really comes from the fact that when I played this game, my first act was basically to contact all of you and say, <laughs> you must play this game. We need to talk about this on a podcast at some point. And uh, the game had an emotional impact on me that I wasn't expecting at all. Um, and it's very rare for, you know, me to, to actually feel very much out of a game. Uh, and the fact that a game with a female protagonist that doesn't involve shooting 10,000 people in the face can sell 3 million copies and be so beloved 
um, and have such a, a fan base that's, I mean, if you look, there's just so much cosplay and, you know, people doing fan art and all of this stuff. It, it's, yeah, it's the fact that it, they've made a game that has sort of had some uh, critical uh, success. But yeah, um, I think it was really good. And I'm glad that I got you to p- play like a 15 hour game. I was talking to Jason there, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I know. That, that's one of the great measures of this game. Because, you know, again, I've been reading about this game forever and it just didn't seem like a thing that I was into. But then I played Walking Dead and I thought, oh, maybe this is the kind of game into it, but never got it. And then uh, James said it was awesome. And so I said, well, you know, I'll try it. And the first episode is free. And the measure is, OK, you play the first free episode. After that, do you spend some time thinking? Should I bother playing the rest of this? Because there's like four more episodes and they're all about this length. It's kind of long. I didn't think for a second. Like by the time I was done with the first episode, there was no question in my mind that I was going to play the rest of this game. And I immediately got all the other episodes. And that's like, that's, you know, like a novel that's a page turner. If it grabs you, you want to play the rest, despite, you know, despite totally realizing that, yet this is the game is the gameplay is exactly what I thought it was going to be. And all the things I've heard that are criticisms of those games are true. And yet still, no question instantly i'm going to play the rest of this thing and like did it in like two nights staying up way too late yeah right well this was uh this was fun and i did just check my steam uh time and it was 12 hours that i spent playing a game that's big for me that's big but i enjoyed it and i didn't (laughs) resort to cheating at any point i played it all the way through figured it all out was very happy with the ending even though i pressed the wrong button so i'm so glad that we could talk about this game after playing it it was a lot of fun I'm going to thank my guests now for playing this game and talking about it with me. John Syracuse, thank you, as always. Life is strange, you know, Jason? It's it's hella strange. Quinn Rose, thank you. Thank you. I think I'll try to preserve this timeline. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany Arment, thank you. Oh, I don't have anything witty. I need to rewind. Good, good. Brian Hamilton, thank you. There's no way her Polaroid could be blown up to that size in the gallery. <sighs> that is true. She also can't rip a Polaroid. So there you go. <laughs> James Thompson, thank you. I, I'm now going to go back to the start of this podcast and steal all the good points you made through it. We'll never know. We'll never know. Also, tell us how many uh, coins we've got in our pocket. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. We'll see you next time. 